praise you that you have a better life for us to live than the life that we would choose on our own. Help us to see the beauty and the wisdom of your plan today. And God, may we surrender again, offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you, and may you do your work of transforming us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going through the book of Romans here at Cornerstone. We're into chapter 12. Last Sunday we looked at just the first two verses of Romans 12. And if you didn't hear that sermon, I just urge you to go online and listen to it, not because it was such a great sermon, but because the scripture is so great. Uh, Those verses really are, uh, no pun intended, transformative verses for me. They talk about how God wants to transform us. They talk about how we are to offer our bodies to him as living sacrifices, and then he transforms us. So instead of following the ways of the world, we let God change us into what he wants us to be. That was the message last Sunday. And today, as we move on into Romans 12, we're going to look at the next six verses, but we're going to continue this theme. And actually, in some ways, this theme continues for the rest of the book of Romans, that we offer ourselves to God, and there are certain things that he wants us to do and to know as we offer ourselves to him, ways in which he wants to change and to transform us. We're going to see a couple of those, and it has to do, again, with our minds being renewed. And specifically, the verses that we're going to look at today will tell us how we should view ourselves and those around us. Uh, before I jump into it, I want to give an illustration. And I had, I had to do this because the basketball season just ended, NBA season. Anybody watch the finals? I, I know. There aren't a whole lot of that. Oh, you know, good, good. I, I know we don't have a lot of basketball players in here, but maybe that's one of my missions today is to help you all enjoy basketball a little bit more. But uh, if you're on a basketball team, it's really important that you know your role on that team. And uh, I want to show you a picture. It's kind of a comical picture, but it's actually a real picture of two players who are really on the same NBA. Both of these guys that I'm going to show you made it to the NBA, and they're on the same team. Can you kind of see it there? Anybody know who those... Candy bar question. Anybody know who those two players are? Uh, Manute Bowl and Muggsy Bogues. All right, yep. Manute Bowl is it's kind of funny. The tall one is named Manute. Like, he's not very minute, but... Um, and then, so he was, I believe, 7'6", and Muggsy, Bo- Muggsy Bogues was 5'3". And these guys both, I mean, amazingly, made it to the NBA. But you can imagine that on the uh, Washington Bullets, as they were called then, that they had very different roles. So uh, who do you think was the guy that was tasked with dribbling the ball up the court most of the time? Was it the really tall guy or the really short guy? It was a short guy. You see, when he was dribbling, nobody could take the ball away from him. I mean, he was just so low to the ground, and he was really good at taking the ball away from the other team. Uh, but when it came time to guard somebody like Shaquille O'Neal, do you think they put Muggsy Bogues on it? No. That, protecting the basket, that was the job of Manute Bull. So it was really important for these two guys to know what their roles were, and their roles really never overlapped. But they had to figure out what that was. But then also, neither of these guys were really great shooters, although it's kind of funny, Manute Bull later on in his career kind of tried to start shooting some three-pointers, and, and he made a few of them, but, uh, but neither of those guys were really great shooters. So they both had to know on their team that if one of their teammates was open, he was probably a better shooter than they were, and they should pass the ball to him because coaches in the NBA don't really like it when the non-shooters take too many shots. And uh, yeah, all you have to do is play noon ball at the YMCA too, and you'll hear it from the guys if you shoot too much. You know, come on, pass the ball. And that, you know, you need to know your role on a basketball team, or I suppose the same is true for a soccer team or a whatever other kind of team there is. You need to know your role. Now, spiritually speaking, God has made us each different. I mean, 
comically, he made these two guys very different. Uh, and again, I'm amazed. They both made it to the NBA, but uh, they each had a role. And spiritually speaking, we each are made differently, but we're all part of one body, and we each have a role to play. And we would do ourselves well to see ourselves in light of his plan, and not just in light of the ideas that we have of how we should live. So today we're going to walk through Romans 12, 3 through 8, in two parts. And in each part, there's a, a key word that we're going to focus on. And the first key word today is body. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 5, which I will read first. So this is Romans 12, 3 through 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So in these verses, the Apostle Paul urges us to think rightly of ourselves and others in light of God. So first, we're not supposed to think too highly of ourselves. Instead, it says we're supposed to think of ourselves in accordance with the measure of faith God has given and I, I stopped the sentence there because in Greek the word you doesn't appear at the end of the sentence. And it's a little bit difficult, but there's, there's two different ways to understand this verse. One way is that we would evaluate how much faith we have, and then we judge ourselves according to how much faith we have. But that doesn't seem quite right to me, and there's another way that I think a lot of the theologians are coming around to. Uh, the other way to view this verse is that we are to look at ourselves in light of the one measure of faith that God has given us all and that is the gospel message. So the, the measure of faith then is kind of like a measuring stick that we use as we're measuring the gospel, as we're looking at ourselves in light of the gospel, as we look at other people in light of the gospel. And, and the really cool part about this is that there's just one gospel message. It's the, the wonderful gospel that the Apostle Paul has laid out for us in the book of Romans, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that if any of us place our faith in Christ, giving our lives to him, like we just talked about in that song, Surrender, if we do that, God gives us forgiveness and eternal life. So the idea then is that we are to think of ourselves and others according to that measuring stick, according to the gospel. So if that's how we measure ourselves, then how do we stack up? Well, one thing we should realize is that we are people who have been shown grace. Every one of us shown grace. Every one of us came into this as sinners, yet God loved us. That's how we should measure ourselves, is amazingly and deeply loved by God. And think about that love. God loves you so much that he sent his son for you. That's how we are to think of ourselves. But then let's use that same measuring stick for other people. And if it's true that God loves you, it is also true that God loves those around you with that same kind of love, with that same kind of grace in which he sent Jesus Christ for them as well. So that's how we're supposed to think about other people too in light of the gospel. So measuring ourselves this way should cause us to realize that we are no better or no worse than the people around us. We are all loved by God, so we don't measure ourselves according to human standards to try to make ourselves look better. That's the way of the world, right? I mean, that's why they keep statistics in the NBA, right? So you can measure yourselves. And, um, but we are not to look at that as our value. 
Our value comes from the fact that we are loved by God. And it's the same for people around us. So really what we should do is we should think like Jesus did. In Philippians 2 it tells us that Jesus, although being God, came to earth and took the form of a servant. And it tells us in Philippians 2 that we're supposed to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And and think of it this way. Jesus had way more reason than any of us to think highly of himself, right? I mean, he's God the Son. But what was his pattern here on earth? Think about how, how Jesus loved the poor and the outcast. Jesus was using that measuring stick of the gospel and the love of God as he looked at other people, and that's how we should view other people as well. And then Paul goes on to explain this metaphor in verses 4 and 5, and I want to reread those. It says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now let me use a similar metaphor. I am right-handed, uh, and you could say, I suppose, in that sense, from a worldly perspective, that, that my right hand is more valuable than my left hand. But practically speaking, when it's wintertime and it's cold outside, uh, I don't just put a glove on my right hand and say, well, my left hand isn't very valuable, so I'll just, I'll just let it be exposed to the elements. No. N- nobody lives that way, right? And I think that's why Paul's using this analogy of the body, is because even though we might think that some parts of the body have more value than others, we should treat each part of the body with the respect in light of the gospel that they deserve. And that means that we love each person, care for each person. God values every part of the body. He made the body the way that he wants to. He values every part. We should value every part. Now this body language uh, is pretty familiar, I'm sure, to many of you because it appears lots of places in the Bible. But here's how it works. Christ is the head of the body, And when we come to him, we are joined into that body. And it's pretty amazing the reason why the Bible tells us that we are joined into this body. It's according to Ephesians 4, so that we can attain maturity. And not just maturity. It's not just like God wants us to raise up to some human standard of maturity. If you read Ephesians 4, it's amazing. God wants us to attain to the measure of the fullness of Christ. That's why God joins us into the body, so that we can all be brought into that maturity of Christ. It's an amazing work that God wants to do, and that's why he joins us into the body, so he can do his work in all of us. It reminds me of Romans 12, too, that that wonderful verse about how God does this work of transformation. God is, is a master artist in this sense, and he can take any single one of us and transform us more into the image of Christ. And he has a plan when we see him face to face to finish that, to bring us into glorification with him. So the next time you, you look around at somebody else and you're tended to look down on them, think about that. God can bring that person through that process of glorification and make them more like Christ. So that's true not just for us individually, but it's true for those around us. The body of Christ has many members. Just like a human body has many different members with many different functions, so it is with the body of Christ. Um, We're all different. Some of us are maybe more different than others. I was talking with somebody about being Norwegian, and you know, maybe maybe we who are Norwegian are a little more different, but uh, hey, God made us that way, right? And he must have a plan for it. 
But we are one body, and like it says in verse 5, we all belong to each other. Now, to drive this point home, I want to read a somewhat lengthy passage from 1 Corinthians 12, which, by the way, 1 Corinthians 12 is kind of a parallel passage to the passage we're looking at today in Romans. So some of you may want to go home and read all of 1 Corinthians 12. I think it'll help you understand Romans 12. But I, I want to read verses 14 to 27 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll put it up here for you. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body, And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So each member is important, and each one has a role. As such, we shouldn't think too much of ourselves, nor should we look down on other people. According to the gospel, the measure of faith, this is how we should view ourselves and each other. God put us in the body and he knows what he's doing. So let's close down this first section with some application questions. I've got two of them for you. The first one is, do you think too highly of yourself? And don't let the person next to you. Do you think too highly of yourself? The world tempts us to think this way. The world tempts us to to look at what we do, to look at the, the things that we're capable of and to compare ourselves with others and to think better of ourselves. It's, it's so easy to think that way, to be tempted into that. But God tells us to live for him as part of a much larger body. So what can you do uh, to remind yourself not to focus too much on yourself? I, I think the, the easy answer to that question is just start thinking about others. Think about God. Pray, and then think about others. Don't just pray for yourself, pray for others as well. Look for opportunities to serve those around you. But do something to stop yourself from just thinking about yourself. It's a very simple application, but I think it's one that a lot of us humans need to work on. And then the second question for application, do you value everyone in the body of Christ? Now, the body of Christ is a large body, and we here at Cornerstone Church are just kind of one small snapshot of that body. But let's just think about Cornerstone here. Do you value everyone at Cornerstone? Or do you kind of think of some people as, you know, maybe not quite as important? Again, let's think about how God thinks about us. He brings all of us into the body of Christ when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. God brings us together, and as such, we belong to Christ, 
and as such we all belong to each other. So every part is important. Every person is valuable. And I think the simple way here is to just view other people in light of the gospel. And that means that they have come to Christ, they are a brother or sister in the Lord, and God is bringing them through a process, a wonderful process. But then also I was thinking, what about the people who haven't yet come to Christ? How should we view them? Well, let's view them in light of the gospel too. And what does the gospel teach us about people who don't yet know God? Well, there's a parable in which we learn that heaven rejoices more over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who don't need to repent. Do you think of the lost that way? I think for some Christians it's so easy to, to try to close ourselves off from the lost and not think about them because it might feel safer or easier that way. But the gospel compels us to go out to them to befriend them, to love them as God loves them, and to share the gospel with them. We are supposed to view ourselves and others in light of the gospel. We're supposed to view ourselves and others in light of the gospel. Okay? That's where we see the real value. And that's where we see that the playing field has been leveled and God loves us all and we are to love those around us. Okay, let's move on now to verses 6 through 8 and the key word here is gifts. Verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now these verses start off with a play in words uh, around the word gift. In fact, um, the word gift there in, in the start of verse 6 is built off of the word for grace. And in, in my Bible dictionary, it's translated as gracious gift. So a, a gift is really a gift of grace that God gives us. And what we're talking about here in verses 6 through 8 are spiritual gifts. This is one of three passages in the Bible that list spiritual gifts for us. Now, I never noticed this before this week. I thought this was really cool. Uh, the, the three passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts each emphasize a different member of the Trinity. So in Romans 12, it appears that it's God the Father who gives the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. And in Ephesians 4, it's Jesus who gives them. So I just think that that's pretty neat that all three members of the Trinity are involved in this process. And it's also neat that in all three of those passages, the body is mentioned. So as we talk about the body, we also talk about gifts. And as we talk about gifts, we talk about the body. There's a connection here. And then also all three lists are different. So our list in Romans 12 is not an exhaustive list. Uh, it's just a partial snapshot of the fuller list. Um, and before we look at the ones in Romans 12, I just want to say a few quick words about spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12 because, again, that's a parallel passage and you may want to read that. Uh, but I want to put part of a verse up here, 1 Corinthians 12:7. It says, now to, each one, that should say one, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Meaning... Every single one of us who comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is given a spiritual gift. It's an awesome thing that God does for us as we come to him. So every single one of us who knows Jesus has at least one gift. Now, uh, 
I don't think that that necessarily means, though, that if you get the gift of teaching, that you automatically become like Billy Graham, like in an instant. Uh, I think what it means is that if you get one of these gifts, that you're supposed to practice it and use it and, and hone that skill. So each one gets a gift. But then I want to finish the verse. I put a little dot, dot, dot up there. I want to finish this verse. Why are these gifts given? For the common good. So what that means is if you get a gift, it's not just yours to, to relish on your own. That gift is for you to use to serve God and to serve the body of Christ. Okay? That's why God gives these gifts. In Ephesians 4 it says, I think I put this up here, so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's why the gifts are given. Now, there are a whole bunch of different kinds of gifts. We don't all get the same gift. We're told in Scripture that we shouldn't envy the gifts that other people have. We should be grateful for the ones that we do have, and we should be grateful for the gifts that other people have. It should put a smile on our faces to see other people using their gifts. Now, in our passage today, there are seven gifts listed. listed, And um, it's interesting to me to note that most of these are pretty down-to-earth. Like, sometimes... I think when people think of spiritual gifts, they think of the super miraculous ones, like healing or prophecy. And there are those. But the ones, six of the seven listed here today are actually really down to earth. Yet I would still call them spiritual gifts. And what that means to me is I think perhaps we need a little bit of a redefinition of what spiritual means. Spiritual doesn't just mean the super miraculous things. Spiritual can also mean that everyday thing that you do to serve somebody or to show mercy. Or if God empowers you to share a meal with a poor person, that is no less an act of God than speaking in tongues. So it's, it's the same God who gives them, and he gives them the way that he wants to for his purposes. Uh, and then one other thing um, about the gifts. You may not have some of these gifts that are listed. For example, you may not have the gift of encouraging but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't encourage. I, I think that we, we all should encourage. Or, or the same goes with teaching. You may not have the gift of teaching, but every one of us who knows God can help other people know God. You don't have to have the gift in order to help somebody with it. The way that I would define a gift is it's, it's a God-given extra capacity to do something. God-given extra capacity to do something. Okay. So let's walk through the list now, and I'm going to put the scripture up there, and I'm just going to underline these words, and I'm going to check my underlining. Good. Last week I apologized when I underlined things on the overhead. It uh, like blocked it out, so that's not what I was trying to do. But now here we're going to emphasize um, just these seven gifts as we walk through them. And the first one is prophesying. And Paul starts off with the most difficult one. Okay? The, the other six are actually pretty easy to understand, but this one's a little bit more difficult. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. To give a prophecy is to receive a revelation from God and then to give it to other people. And that can be in regard to future circumstances, like, like telling what's going to happen, or it can be shining light on a current circumstance. That's what the gift of prophecy is. Now, some people believe that gifts like prophecy, as well as some of the other more miraculous gifts, are no longer given today. Uh, it's a theological belief called cessationism from the word cease, meaning that they think that these have ceased to be given. Now, I am not a cessationist for two reasons. I'd just like to walk you through why that is. First, 
I don't believe that the Bible says that God has stopped giving these gifts. The Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 13 that some of the gifts, like prophecy, will cease. But I believe that that's talking about a future time because it's talking about the time when we will see God face to face. When we're with him, we won't need the gift of prophecy because it will be with God. So I think when the Bible talks about some of those gifts ceasing, I think it's talking about a future time, probably our time with God face to face, that those gifts will cease. So I, I don't believe that the Bible has said that they've stopped being given. We may not see them as much, and, and it could be that God doesn't give them as much because he's emphasizing other gifts, but I, I, I stop short, far short of saying that God has stopped giving them. And my second reason is because I don't want to limit God. God tells us that these are spiritual gifts and if he wants to give them to somebody, I don't want to get in his way. So, I guess that leads me in the camp of believing that prophecy is still a gift for today. And the million dollar question is, what in the world is it then? Uh, what, what does it look like? Well, it could look like someone receiving a word from God. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, I have a word from God for you? I have, and honestly, it was a little a little off-putting, um, but let me tell you now with a little, few more years of experience under my belt, if somebody came up to me and said, I have a word of God from you, I would be very cautious about that, but I would listen. I, I'd try probably not to, to speak back right away. What I would probably try to do is take that, that word that was given to me and first of all take it to Scripture and say, does it line up with Scripture? And then I would take it to prayer. And as I'm going through scripture too and I talk to God and say God is that from you is there anything in there from you that I need to hear and then I'd go take some godly advice from some other people that I trust as well so but it's possible I believe it's possible that God could work that way now there's another possible way to understand the word prophecy and I was pretty intrigued as I studied this one this week it's by the theologian Wayne Grudem, who I, I look at as, as one of the top theologians of our day. You know, pro- he'd, he'd be on the short list of the top theologians of our day, I think. And he suggested, I, I'm not sure if he lands on this view, but he suggested that perhaps prophecy is maybe in line with what we call illumination. Now, if you haven't heard the word illumination, here's a little uh, theology 101 for you. We evangelicals love the word illumination. What it means is it's the Holy Spirit shining light on Scripture. So we believe that when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we also receive the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, that means that the author of Scripture lives inside of us, and he can shine light on Scripture as we read it, as we are in tune with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, like it says in Galatians 5, we expect that the Holy Spirit would shine light on Scripture. So it could be then that some people have an extra God-given capacity to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to understand Scripture in that way and then proclaim it to others. And if so, it could be that they're engaging in prophecy. Now I'm not sure. I, I, I think I might just kind of leave it where I understand Wayne Grudem to leave it and just say it's possible that that's what prophecy is. Although it kind of blurs the line a little bit with teaching. Um, but nevertheless, uh, God may very well give the gift of prophecy today. But what does it say in verse 6? If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Or perhaps more accurately, in an NIV footnote, it says, in agreement with the faith. That is, if anybody is prophesying, it should line up with what God has already revealed in his word. So, okay. Uh, Let's move on. Is that all right if we move on? (laughs) The next ones are going to be a lot easier. Serving is the next one. 
Serving means helping people in need. Perhaps God has given you eyes to see and hands to help with what people need. And if you have this gift or you think you might have it, I just urge you to seek out ways to serve. Just look for ways. Even go up to people who might have a need and ask them, what can I do for you? It's kind of a scary thought. But if you have the gift of serving, I'd encourage you to look for those needs. Or that, you know, you can even ask me, Eric, what needs do you know of in the church or around town? Um, But look for ways to serve. And the next gift is teaching. Again, an easier one. Uh, Some people have an extra God-given capacity to understand and proclaim God's word. And if you think this might be you, I just urge you to look for ways to use your gift of teaching. And maybe that means you volunteer to teach a Sunday school class. We have opportunities for that. Uh, Maybe it means you come up to me and say, hey, I'm interested in being a small group Bible study leader at some time. And my response might not be, okay, here you go, here's your group, just start it. My response might be, well, let's put you in a group with another leader that you can learn from, that you can watch for a year. And maybe sometimes during that year you'll get a chance to fill in. But maybe next year then you'll be able to teach. But do you see how that works? If we have a spiritual gift, again, I, I think it's something that God gives us to, to hone, to, to build up, and to use. Okay, the next gift is encouraging. All of us should encourage one another, but some people are especially good at it, and they notice people who could use encouragement. So if you think that's you, if if you think that you're good at encouraging, or you just notice people who need encouragement, I just urge you, write a note, or go up to somebody and look them in the eye and say, here's what I appreciate about you. And and by the way, one other way to, to determine if you have a spiritual gift is that you may have extra joy as you do it. Like, every single one of us is called to serve, but somebody with the gift of serving might just have extra joy as they do it. Same with encouraging. You might just be like, wow, this is, this is what God put me on earth to do. And if that's you, then do it. The next one, contributing to the needs of others. The word contributing here literally means to share with. So that means that you may have a God-given extra capacity to be able to share with people in need. No, that could be because maybe you're wealthy and you have more things to share. Or it could be that you're just good at helping people find the resources that are out there somewhere else. So here's a resource you know that is available and here's a person with a need and you can kind of be a matchmaker. That could be contributing to the needs of others. But maybe God has given you this gift of just seeing what needs to be done and helping meet that need. Now, this one it says... Uh, if your gift is contributing to the needs of others, it says, let him give generously. Give gener- and think about it. If that's a gift of yours, that means that you will have joy as you give. It's ironic, but Jesus alerted us to this fact. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Which, by the way, this should be another candy bar question. In which book of the Bible did Jesus say that? Anybody know? Acts, you got it. Ah, good, Daryl. All right, come up. I think I got some stale candy bars up here still. So, <laughs> is that is that my gift giving candy? I don't know. <laughs> some people might say no. Um, the next gift is leadership. Do you ever notice that people often look to you to lead? Are you often in a group of people and they're trying to figure out what needs to be done, and you just kind of know what needs to be done? Or do you just often find that people follow you wherever you go? People just kind of follow you. If so, you might have the gift of leadership. And if so, don't use it for yourself and for your own glory. God has given you that gift to help people grow in their faith. So what it says here, if that's your gift, 
Govern diligently. That means with zeal. That means you work hard at it. Work as if working for the Lord and not for yourself. Because you can help people grow the way that God wants them to grow. And then the last gift is showing mercy. If you have this gift, you have compassion. You not only see the needs that people have, but you want to help meet those needs. So it's maybe kind of like contributing to the needs of others, but I think there would be just this extra sense of compassion that goes along with this one, that you really care. And it says here that if you have mercy, it says, let him do it cheerfully. Um, Oftentimes the pattern of this world is that if we help people out, sometimes we do it begrudgingly. But that's not how God helps us out. He helps us because he loves us. And if you have the gift of showing mercy, then do it cheerfully because God has gifted you to do that. Okay, so there's the list. Application for this point. Question, do you have any of those gifts? If so, use them. God has given them to you for you to use. Think back over your life. What are some of the best gifts that you have been given? Whether a Christmas present, birthday present, out of the blue present. What are some of the best gifts you have been given? Um, There are a few that stick out in my life. I'll just mention three real quick. One is a guitar that my dad gave me when I was in college. Another is a drum that my wife gave me right before we got married. Well, she was my fiancé then. You know how that goes. Um, And then the other is a Bible that my mom and dad gave me back in high school. And you know why those are three of the best gifts that I've ever been given? Because I used them. Because I have found them to be very useful in my life. There's other gifts that we, we've all received gifts like this that we're like, oh, okay, great. And we just kind of put it aside and it gets lost in a pile. And 20 years later, oh yeah, kind of remember that thing. If God gives you a gift, don't let it lay dormant. Use it. It's for the building up of the kingdom, for the building up of the body. And it should bring joy to you as you use it. So think about, look through that list again. Do you have any of those seven gifts? And if so, use them for God's glory. And when you serve, serve in the strength that God provides. Because I don't think that he'll just give you the gift. I think he will also give you the strength to use it. And then just real quick here, a conclusion for today's sermon. God is shaping the body the way that he wants to. He is forming the body. And because he's the one who is doing that, we shouldn't think too much of ourselves and we shouldn't think too little of others. We should view each other in light of the gospel and that means there's one Savior and one body and we all belong to each other. And in this body, God gives us all gifts. If he's given you a gift, you should use it because like I said, it'll be for God's glory and it should bring joy to you as you use it. And if you don't use your gift, the whole body suffers. So think of it this way. If the liver in your body just all of a sudden decides that it's not going to work, that's going to cause problems for the rest of your body. God has given us all gifts and we are all to use them. So use them. And I would love to be able to tell you that I know how to help you use your gift, but I don't always know that. Sometimes I might know that. Sometimes I might give you a call and say, hey, I think you should use your gift in this very specific way. Uh, But a lot of times I don't know. And what that means is that it's your responsibility to use the gift that God has given to you. So talk to your friends about it. Talk to me about it. See how you can begin to use those gifts. But use them. Because if you do use your gifts, there can be amazing results. And you can see the power of God at work in you and in the body. Would you pray with me?
God, we thank you for how you have arranged things in the body. We thank you that you've invited us into the body of Christ, that by faith we can receive Christ and be joined to him and to others as well. So God, help us to remember that you put us in this body. Help us to remember not to think too highly of ourselves and not to look down on others. And God, I, I thank you also that you give us gifts. God, it, it is fun to use those gifts that you give. Help us to use them for your glory and for the building up of the body. Help us not to let those gifts lay dormant, but help us to use them. So remind us, God, even now, what gifts you have given us and how we can use them. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.